0: Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake, you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. We're in Hosea chapter 4, and I kind of want to lighten it up. Hosea is a very uh, heavy book, and so we've looked at it, you know, the last couple weeks. And uh, right, chapter 4 is really about the commitment that Hosea has with Gomer, and it really unpacks what that commitment is. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, some of us have kids, and there was a, a little child, and he went up to his dad, and he asked his dad, he said, Dad, I just want to know, like, like, how were babies made? I have five kids. I've heard that five times, you know. Dad, how, how were babies made? And the dad said, well, <laughs> well uh, you see, we had uh, Adam and Eve, and, and they made babies, and, and then their babies made babies, and, and then and they made babies, and, you know, God created us all, and that's how we got here. Well, the little boy, went to his mom and said, Mom, you know, can, can you tell us, can you tell me, you know, how, how did we get here? And he asked his mom. And mom says, well, you see, we evolved from, from monkeys. And, you know, then monkeys eventually transformed, evolved over time, and we became humans. And, and, and that's how it worked. And so the little boy's just mad. And so he goes over to his dad. and He's like, Dad, Dad, you lied to me. You totally lied to me. Mom said we're from monkeys. And, and he's like, no, no, I didn't lie. That's, Mom's just talking about her side of the family, son. That's all. Awesome. So, um, my, one more here and then we'll jump in this, this wife, she comes home really late one, night, one evening she opens the door to her bedroom and, and she sits under the blanket four legs, hanging out not just two and so she reaches for a baseball bat, she grabs it and she just starts hitting the blanket as hard as she can just just annihilating once she's done, she goes to the kitchen to have a drink she enters and she sees her husband there and uh, he's just reading the magazine and he says, hey darling, just so you know Your parents are coming to visit us, so I let them stay in our bedroom. Did you say hello? Marriage is fun, isn't it? Marriage is fun, you know. It's just perfect in every way, you know. I mean, you never have any dilemmas. You always see eye to eye. When you communicate, the other person gets it so perfectly. You're out. You've are you never questioned your commitment for each other or your love. You've never wanted to beat one of your kids. You've never wanted to, you know, leave your wife at the gas station and just drive. I, no, right? Okay. So let's look at this. Because I think what happens, we're looking at this crazy love, and with crazy love comes crazy commitment. And crazy commitment is just insane. And, and I have to tell you, man, this woman right here in front of me, I love. She's not perfect by any means. I, I can give you a laundry list if you want. Um, but she, uh, but then she would no longer be committed. No, um, I'd be committed in a whole different way if you know what I mean. And uh, uh, she has committed to me, man. We've gone through hell and high water and marriage. We have gone through uh, stuff that I brought to the marriage table when we first got married. And, and the amount of commitment that she has shown me and demonstrated throughout our life has just been incredible. And, uh, you know, we, have, we do have times, we do have times you know even Sunday morning we're coming and you know there's Sunday mornings I get up here I don't have it all together believe it or not and uh there's times where (gasps) we're even arguing with our kids on the way to church Sunday morning because we're normal and uh we get here and and we have to pray or we hug it out or you know there's times where Heather's been sitting in that seat and I'm up here and and we're in the middle of a fight but we just pause because we want to deliver the word and so uh you know there's those moments but we still figure out how to make it work and uh you know we've we've made it work really well, and I just want to uh, you know say I love my wife uh, very well and very much with everything in me, but it pales in comparison to how God has this crazy love and crazy commitment for every single one of us. And uh, uh, you know this, in fact, this next week, this woman in the front, uh, her and I will be celebrating 18 years of marriage this okay. next week. I don't even feel like we're a day over 16. So I don't know how we have 18 years of marriage already going on. So let's recap here. Let's get everybody on the same page. We talked about Hosea and we talked about Gomer. And if you weren't here the last three weeks, it's okay. You'll miss everything. Um, the first week we talked, we'll get you on page. We talked about how Hosea was called by God to go marry a prostitute. He was called, and which is just crazy to think about, that God would tell him, hey, go marry this person. She's going to screw up on you. She's going to be an adulterer. She's not going to like you sometimes. She's not going to understand how you love her. We looked at chapter 2, the judgment that God had on the people, and Sir Derek preached, and talked about how there's hope. And then last week, my favorite chapter of all, chapter 3, which in Hosea, it looks at the redemptive part of God. And so the symbolism is that we are Gomer. Great, great, uh, you know, name right there. That's Hosea's wife. And God is represented through Hosea. And so Hosea continues to love Gomer. In fact, last week we looked at how... Hosea redeemed, actually bought back his wife out of prostitution, out of all the adulterous things that she was in, representing the fact that God has sent his his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And so there's these parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and my encouragement to you is just just read through. I had some people, even this morning, said, hey, my wife read through Hosea, and now they're really confused. And so um, just stay with it. It can be a very confusing book because it's one of these minor prophets. Again, it's just a shorter prophetic book. And sometimes it can be a little confusing when we don't know how to tie in all the context. And so here we are in chapter four and it really talks about the commitment and yet a little bit of a little bit of like some judgment from God. Because God is perfectly love, but he's perfect in judgment. He's the one that's called to judge. And so let's read it out. Let's unpack it together. So here we go. I'm going to give you a lot of verses right now. So if you have a Bible, open up to Hosea chapter 4. Uh, if you don't, we'll throw it on the screen for you. Here we go. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness. There's no love. There's no acknowledgement of God in the land. Anybody relate to this? Do we see this in our lives? Do we see this in our culture at all? Do we see that God is relevant even years, thousands and thousands of years ago? Yeah. Verse 2, there's only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed flows. Blood follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, they're all swept away. Remember, the land dries up because they're serving this god, lowercase Baal. And uh, Baal, B-A-A-L, is not only the fertility god, but he's also the god of the harvest, they believe. And so they're saying, hey, you know what? You can worship him all you want. Your crop's ain't growing, bro. Not working. Not happening. Okay? Um, Verse 4, But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest, because you have ignored the law of God. I will also ignore your children. So it sounds like we're kind of out of hope right now, it seems like. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me, they exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. Have we ever fallen away in our lives from God to look at something that we shouldn't have? Probably all of us. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests, I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution, but not flourish. That's a shocking scripture right there, isn't it? I think it's funny. Because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution, old wine and new wine take away their understanding. In other words, nothing wrong with wine, but they're getting drunk. They're getting into things they shouldn't. My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice, check this out, Focus in with me now. I know these are a lot of verses. Focus in the next part right here. They, talking about the Israelites, all of them together, all the people that day, they sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills, under oak, poplar, terebinth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice to shrine prostitutes a people without understanding will come to ruin. So then he unpacks what all that means right here in verse 15. Oh so you Israel, do all these these adulterous things, do not let Judah become guilty. Quick pause. Remember there's two different kingdoms if you're with me. You know this is a little deeper than usual, but think of it. Israel is the northern kingdom and Judah is the southern kingdom. So he's don't let Israel's practices pull, you know, Flow over into Judah's practices to mess it all up. We want them to remain pure. Do not go to Gilgal, we'll talk about what that is, and do not go up to Beth Aven, and do not swear, as surely as the Lord lives. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone, even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. Their rulers dearly love shameful ways. Last verse, here we go. Thanks for staying with me. A world will sweep them away and their sacrifices will bring them shame. Where's the hope in this? In other words, what God is saying is he's saying, hey, you know what? There's been this judgment. You have a choice to make. Are you gonna follow me or not? If you do, there's gonna be great blessing. If not, there's, it's not gonna go so well. It's not gonna go really well. And so he starts saying, here's what you need to do so that's well with your as well with your soul. So here's a few things that I find interesting in the chapter. I know that was a lot. If you're with me, say yeah. Okay. <coughs> there's, there's a lot happening within this chapter. And so let me give this to you. It's a start of God's case against Israel. In other words, not just a case, not just him going, man, you've done all this wrong and everything wrong, but a desperation for his people to come back. If you read it with the heart of God, you see a desperation in the text. You see a desperation for God saying, I want my people. I will do whatever it takes to have them back. Did he do whatever it takes? Did God do whatever it took to have you and I back? Yeah. How? New Testament, what did he do? He sent his son. We know that, okay? Whenever God has a case against something, it's because he has a desperation for someone. Some of you need to write that down. It's not your notes. But anytime, thanks, son. anytime God has a case against something, it's because he has a desperation for someone. He's desperate about you. He's desperate. It's crazy love. Crazy love. What is Gilgal? Gilgal is an important Israelite sanctuary. This is where, you know, they together, they would make their offerings, make their sacrifices. This was the the purest place that they would come together. And so this this place was a sanctuary, a place of worship. And what happened is it became wicked. It became perverted. It would be like if we started, you know, doing something within the church Sunday morning that we shouldn't be doing. You know, like like if if Sunday morning we were, uh, you know, all getting drunk together. It's kind of like that, but even worse because they were serving other false gods. And so during this time, let me just give you a quick little history here, and this is crazy, but uh, you have Baal, and associated with Baal is another fertility god called Asherah, okay? And Asherah was a Babylonian-influenced god, and, and Asherah, Asherah is crazy because Asherah is, throughout the Old Testament, you can learn about history with this. This is a little bit rated R or even worse, so I'm just going to kind of walk around this. Uh, but they would have these poles up in the ground and they would actually have prostitutes um, up worshiping that would stand on these poles because the pole standing out of the ground represented some kind of anatomy we'll just leave it there for you okay and so that's happening at the temple and you know jose is going wow you guys have like committed way outside of what god had intended you're dancing on that you're worshiping that and you're saying you're you're following god at the same time this can't be and so then he uses this word Beth-Avon that's in the, in the Scripture. We just read it and go, well, what is that? Beth-Avon literally means wickedness. And so what's interesting that we can't really see in Scripture, I, love, I just get really nerdy about this. You just have to put up with me because I love studying my Bible. But here's what's cool. Heather and I live really close to the town of Bethel. Does anyone know what Beth means? It's actually a Hebrew word. House of God or city of God. It means house of God. And so beth Aven, it's actually a play on words. It's basically like in the New Testament, we have Christ, and then we read in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist. And so we have Bethel, the city of God. Well, then you have not Bethel, but beth Aven, and that is a, it's a play on words in Hebrew. It's really cool. And all it means is it means like an anti-house of God. It means like wickedness or the exact opposite of a city of God. And so what he's saying is, that's what you've made in the church. He's going, come on, guys, I want you back. And so the people at this time, they grew up under this false worship. They, they didn't know any better. They were wrapped into it. But they were still God's chosen people. He still had this crazy love. And so after Hosea in chapter 3 redeemed Gomer, we see this like almost judgment plan of God. Hey, a judgment plan. I thought it was the life of Judgment plans of, 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 of God. You know, we're all about hellfire brimstone around here, right? No. And so this question is, and I believe it's a question for us, The question that God wanted to propose to them is, are you going to focus on idols or me? We can all have idols in our lives. They don't have to be, you know, these Babylonian gods. It can be anything. Anything that we esteem higher than Christ is an idol within our lives. We can either run away. This is in your notes, if you're taking notes. You can either run away from something or towards someone. That's someone we all know is Jesus. You see, God had every single right not to forgive. He didn't have to. They messed up. It was done. He would given them grace before. Had every right not to forgive, but chose to show mercy and bought back his people. Mercy is a little different than grace. Mercy, it, it's not getting what we really deserve. What they deserved was death. What they deserved was not to be God's chosen people, and yet God was gracious and merciful beyond comparison of everything else. How many think this applies to us today? Yeah, this does. It applies to you and me so clearly. You see, every single one of us here, every single one of us, we grew up and we're still growing up in this environment of sin. Every single one of us, okay? However, this is in your notes as well, and this is super important. You are chosen by God to be a Christ follower. Within the Word, it says you're actually chosen to be a Christ follower and sit on the right hand next to God with Jesus. How often do we become unfaithful and we start returning to our lives of sin? How, how often? You know, well, I haven't yet today, maybe around lunchtime, you know? Yeah. How, how often do we get off track? And I don't want to give, like, the enemy all the credit in the world, but can I show you something? Where are my, my fishermen and women at? You got any fishermen and women here? No one. One, all right. Who I outfished this week, I saw his hand go up. Um, I think what happens is, this is a real hook, by the way, so don't touch this, okay? You will get hurt. (laughs) But I think the enemy goes around, and I think he just, he tries to entice us. He just, you know, he's like, here, you know you want that. You know you you want this. Let's make it a little bit more practical for a second here. You know, this is a... This is a rubber worm. What about gummy worms? Man, I mean, you put that on there. I mean, seriously? i put this right over the youth's heads, okay? I mean, how does, how does that look? I mean, man, we go for that bait that the enemy's putting out in front of us. What, what, what happens? You know, looks good, doesn't it? You know you you know you want it. And, and we're like, oh, man, I, I really want it. Some of us are like, you know, I don't know, what is that? The cynical gluttony? What, what, you know, what is that? Well, maybe that's, maybe that's not it for you, you know? Maybe it takes something else for you. Now let's see how this goes. Don't ever deface money. That's a 20. Now now let's 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 see, okay? I mean there's people on Facebook Live right now trying to grab it. Um you know, it's a little bit more enticing now, isn't it? I mean and it's like, and he just throws these things at us. We're saying, I'm going to follow Christ. And yet we have all these things that are around us. we're like, ah, 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 you know? Now, I wish I could say this is a great representation of how the enemy tempts us. However, it's not. Let me explain. I think the enemy isn't like that. We're like, no, I, I can get away from that. I'm, I, I'm good. That, that's not tempting me. I, you know, I have other stuff. And we, think, we think we have it conquered. I think it happens in our lives, though, I think the enemy is a little bit more like this. Well, I'm not tempted there, okay? I can barely even see you right now. I can't even focus on anything else. And so I think what has to happen is we have to realize that we have this power in our lives constantly trying to get us off track of what God has for us. I have to focus. If I focus on the back wall, I don't even see any of this. Do you have tunnel vision for your Savior because it's tunnel vision for you? I'm going to invite the worship team up in just a couple minutes, but let me, let me show you this. In its toughest times, in our toughest time, God shows us mercy and is willing to forgive. In our toughest of times. 1 John 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, big churchy word, just means he's going to make us in right standing with God. So this begs the question, how, and this is in your notes, very important question, how passionately in love with Jesus are you? All right, guys, let's be real. For me to say, huh, I'm passionately in love with Jesus. It it almost sounds weird coming out of my mouth. But it's the manliest thing we can do, is be in love with our Savior. I don't want to just know about him. I want to know him. I don't want to just have a love for him. I want to love him. Let me close with this. John wrote in the early church in the book of Revelation, and uh, really cool how this ties in this morning, because I think what happened, even though this isn't spelled out in Hosea 4, I think we can all relate to it. Check this out. He wrote to a church called Ephesus. Paul writes to this church as well. And it's chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. If you know anything about Revelation, uh, it's about the return of Christ. It, and we're going to go through that book here in, uh, uh, probably next year, next January or February together. I've had a lot of people ask about it. Um, but he says right here, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. All that means is talking about the Holy Spirit. Throughout uh, the book of Revelation, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. This is an incredible church. You've persevered. You've been hardships my name. You haven't grown weary. I mean, that's awesome. And then he throws in verse 4. Yet, I've got this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. She's like, you're doing everything. You're going through the motions. Some of you maybe have a marriage like this, unfortunately, where you're just going through the emotions because you're committed. But it's not really a love anymore. It's not really a passion. What if it was? What if our relationship with God so changed to the point where it wasn't something I had to do to have the you know, right standing with God, but something I wanted to do, something I was desperate about to live a godly life? Now, cool thing is, salvation free. It doesn't cost you a thing. Discipleship and following Him will cost you everything. There's a difference. You see, they had some positive elements. This is in your notes as well. They were hardworking. They persevered. You guys are hardworking. I'm hardworking. They can't tolerate wicked people. They were persecuted under hardship for the name of Christ. They were ministered. They were doing evangelism. They hadn't grown weary. They hate the practices of, of wicked people, and, and those wicked people are called the Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans, depending on how you like your Greek. Could we be like them a little bit? you know could we be like the people there and still miss the boat like we're doing everything right we're doing our block and our, our easter celebrations and we're reaching out yet we're missing the love with jesus i'm gonna invite our worship team up there's only one one negative element here and stay with me i know they're coming up just stay with me one negative element what was it what was the negative element got it out they lost their love they lost their first love the unfortunate part, it's hard to lose something we never had. If you've never had a passionate walk, love with the relationship with God, it's because one or two things have happened. You never One, what that can be like, or two, you didn't see it displayed or demonstrated. And I'm sorry, because it's so incredible of what God can do through His Son, Jesus Christ. If we're with them. They forsake their first love. And so then you go on and you read, I'm not going to read this for time's sake, but verses 5, 6, and, and on. Jesus' words say, there's either going to be a curse or a blessing. Here's the curse. He says, if you don't repent, if you, if you don't repent, he says. In other words, if you don't say, God, I want you to be my first love. Jesus, I want you. He says, I will remove my lampstand from its place. What does that mean? It's in the scripture. You can read it. Removing the lampstand. Remember, lampstand within the book of Revelation means the Holy Spirit. So in other words, try. He's basic, it's basically a twist on words again saying, you, want, you think you can do this without being fully in love with me? Then fine, I'll take my Holy Spirit from you. That's what he's saying. He's saying that's the biggest curse he can give to us if we have forsaken our first love, and that's Jesus. Second, they said there's this is blessing. It says, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, who realizes Jesus our first love, gives us the right to eat from the tree of life and the paradise of God. In other words, we get this wisdom and this, you know, had, and the relationship with God is such a blessing. See, we're similar to that church in so many ways. So where's your love of Christ at? Are you like, I'm passionately in love with Jesus. Woo! Come follow me as I follow Christ. Are you like, whoa, don't follow me as I follow Christ yet. i got to figure a few things out. Where are you at on that spectrum? See, God loves us right where we're at on that spectrum, but He loves you enough not to leave you where you're at. And He will love you along the way. That's crazy love